Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Code coffee. Apply patches, coffee, fix bugs, coffee, handle service tickets, coffee. How is this my life? I suppose I just never thought about what I was doing until one day here I was, 28, an IT professional, working in the same Swedish town I grew up in, and a chump slaving away at 3 in the morning for crap pay on a Saturday night. I had to be awake and back there again at 7, so at that point it was looking like another all-nighter. That was when I got a phone call from my friend Magnus, who had just gotten out of the bars. Kurt, he slurred. Come on, man, my job is killing you. Come to this after party. I don't know what made me agree. Not exactly. I remember staring at my half-empty giant mug of coffee. I remember my brain bubbling with caffeinated fire as I thought about the frustration boiling in my chest every day of that goddamn job. Sure, I said, and finally got up from the computer. The office was dark, and I was alone. The moment that I stopped doing what I was supposed to be doing, the maze of shadowed cubicles became foreign, unnatural. During the day, these small spaces were crammed with busybodies. Now they seemed like empty tombs. I shivered as I crept silently through them. All the while, my brain kept shouting at me to go back to the light of my monitor and back to my work, where it was safe. Did some part of me know what I was about to see? The parking lots for the low-level employees like myself was in the back. The air in the alley bore the chill of winter, but it was not as cold as I'd expected. I hadn't been out much in the last few months. I often darted from building to my car, my car to my house, and back again. We've all seen zombie movies. As techniques advanced, the look ranged from silly blue skin tones and wide eyes in the old Romero films, all the way to ghastly animated corpses in The Walking Dead. When I saw the shambling creature in the parking lot, my first thought was, wow, that's really good. I then began wondering why. Someone would be dressed like that in the middle of the night. Was it a drunk cosplayer just out from some event? If so, the person within was oddly committed to the role. But, as I approached, one of my senses threw me something I knew to be a huge red flag. It smelled horrific. Like someone had overcooked exotic foreign spices into burning and putrefying meat. My eyes watered and I gagged as I backed away. 
No way someone could go about their day smelling like that. That was when I first entertained the idea that this thing shuffling across the parking lot was actually what it appeared to be. One of its arms lifted, a hand slid forward, and it groaned, as if asking for something I could never get it. Horrified? Yes. Near panicked? Yes. But the caffeine raging in my system pushed a simple response. I found a thick stray branch from the ground nearby and hit it in the head repeatedly, screaming all the while. It crumpled and fell. Pulse thudding in my forehead rather painfully, I stared down at the thing for a moment. And then I looked around wild-eyed in case there were more. There were always more, right? Where had this one come from? But I didn't see any others yet. With a chance to get a good look at it, I gagged again, but not from the smell. The thing had been a woman, and under all the rotting gore, I think her hair had been dark. Bits of her skin still held an olive tone, at least those bits that had escaped the bulging black goop oozing from her veins. Her breath rasped in her open throat. My bastard brain took that moment to ask, what if she's actually still alive? Call someone. Call someone. The, the police? The, the hospital? There'd be questions about why I'd hit her with a branch and nearly killed her. Knowing the media in my country, I'd be absolutely crucified for hurting a woman, especially one in medical need. But Magnus was going to graduate as a doctor in half a year. Calling him in a panic, I described what had happened, and he drunk drove to my work immediately while I went back inside, found a blanket, and put it over the zombified woman. Pulling to a screeching halt, Magnus got out of his car and handed me a soft, white breathing mask. He already had one on himself, which was beginning to soak through from his drunken sweat. Staring at the creature on the ground from a few feet away, he shook his head and said, I've never seen anything like this. What is she, a mutant? No, I told him. Look at the flesh. She's rotting. She's dead. She's a zombie. But that's like a tentacle there, Magnus said, pointing. As much as I didn't want to stare at the putrid thing, I didn't agree. It's a strip of her flesh coming off. <sighs> Disgusting in either case, he looked at me. Do you have a plastic tarp or anything? Thinking back on a portion of the building that was under construction, I nodded, rushed back to get the blue tarp, and returned to find him poking her with a long stick. She groaned and moved slightly, and he rapped on her head again, which knocked her silent. I was too panicked to question his drunken decision, but we wrapped her up in the tarp and put her in my trunk. Why my trunk and my basement to store her in? Because it's your mess, Magnus told me. If she's lucid at all, she'll tell the authorities about the man who hit her on the head in the middle of the night at your work building. They'll know it's you. 
Too terrified to protest, I pushed through the moments, getting her transferred to my basement and chained up as quickly as possible. It's dusty in here, Magnus commented. Clicking the chains together with a bike lock, I told him, I'm rarely home. And then we sealed up the basement door around the edges with plastic tape to keep the horrible smell of death and rotting spices. Just like that, we came to have a woman chained up in my basement. I got each of us a beer from the fridge, and then we sat in the living room whispering fearfully. What was there to do now? That woman looked and smelled dead, but she kept moving. If she was alive, we were in a heap of trouble. she was dead, then we'd found a real-life zombie, or mutant, as Magnus insisted, and it was possible we could become rich if we handled this right. I hadn't thought about that part. Had he? He left to give medical instruments. If she was alive, we could help her. If she was dead, we could study her. Meanwhile, I sat in the dark, wondering how the hell this had happened. I drank more than I should have, and some inner darkness drew me back down into the basement to watch her gasping and writhing moments by the light of one naked bulb down there. Was it true that zombies wanted brains? I got a few different pieces of food and held them above her face. She held her mouth open hungrily and then caught each piece as they dropped it. Her jaw moved and her rotted teeth mashed together, but I was uncertain whether she was able to actually chew. The food disappeared eventually, swallowed by atrophied throat muscles. The zombie drank water, too, though most of it leaked on the floor for a few minutes later with a rancid odor. By the time Magnus came back, I was gently prodding it with the end of a tennis racket, trying to see under its oozing skin. It's nauseating, isn't it? He asked, setting up his tools on a work table behind me. She's loathsome, and a danger to our entire way of life. Imagine if she got out, if there were more like her, might even be out there right now. He zipped a small coffee and handed me a large one. Come on, we've got work to do. We worked through the night almost exactly like I had planned to do anyway and learned as much as we could. With gloved hands, he pried out a tooth from her groaning mouth. I held her down throughout and he also managed to take blood which entered the syringe already black and milky. While he examined these samples, I cut a bit of flesh from her nose, ear, and arm for testing. The zombie never stopped moving and struggling like a dumb animal that operated on instinct. All it wanted was to get free, and it never once uttered an intelligible word. Near dawn, we needed more supplies, and it was my turn to go. Heading out into the chilly gray morning, I walked down to the local grocery store, which I knew was the only place open this early. What I saw there chilled my blood far more deeply than any winter breeze. Numerous, putrid zombies like the one in our basement wandered the aisles, chasing after healthy Swedish citizens with outstretched hands. 
The shelves were in disarray. The ravenous creatures had torn boxes and bags and bottles down in a desperate search for sustenance. Worse, some of the decaying monsters were small. Infected children. My heart sank for them, but they were beyond help now. I darted into the store just long enough to grab a canned double shot and an energy jink from the end cap right at the front, and then I ran home with all haste, chugging the double shot on the way. Magnus! I burst down to the basement and froze. He had her cheeks slayed open, and with gloved hands and a masked face, he used metal implements to examine the inner workings of her jaw and throat while she feebly struggled. He continued his examination without looking up. What's wrong, Kurt? I must have looked insane, but my message was clear. They're at the grocery store. Dozens of them. That gave him pause. He put away his tools, sewed her cheek back up quickly, threw away his gloves and mask, and joined me on a run back to the market. When we got there, nothing of the carnage I had seen remained, save for the devastated aisles. A surprisingly large percentage of the food had been taken or consumed, but it looked like everyone had gotten away safely. There was no clerk at the front counter and no clue as to where the zombies had gone next. Shit, Magnus said with a frown. It's time to call the police. They wouldn't crucify me for what I'd done. Not now that it had become a crisis. Totally on board with calling the police, I got out my cell phone while we walked back to the house with weary eyes on the empty street. Yes, hello? Something terrible has happened. There are these... What? What would I say? Zombies? No, I just needed the cops down here to see for themselves. There are people down here, lots of them. They're sick and hungry, and they're causing a disturbance. What kind of disturbance? The man on the other end asked. Has anyone been hurt? Well, no, I told him, but you really need to get down here. We're being invaded and we're terrified. Look! Magnus shouted, pointing out one up ahead. It shambled slowly down the street, suddenly lit in bright orange by the cresting of the sun. Listen, the cop on the line said with annoyance. We can't come down there just because you don't like your neighbors. We have to avoid an incident, no matter what their behavior. There's nothing we can do about this. I stared at my phone. He hung up. But Magnus was no longer beside me. He'd run up and hit the zombie in the back of the head with a stick until it had fallen onto the sidewalk and stopped moving. There can't be many more, can there? I saw them before he did, and pointed in horror. They're in the houses! It was true. We could both see them moving around beyond the windows that faced the street. This house, that house, the next. They were everywhere. Seeking security, he and I ran back to my house and pushed furniture up against the windows, wondering the whole time whether this was how our way of life would end. Magnus wasn't satisfied with hiding and waiting. 
He went down into the basement and began experimenting again, this time with an almost vicious intent to cause pain to the chained zombie woman. If he couldn't stop the hordes outside, he could certainly take out his anger on this one captured example of their kind. When it feels like the world's ending, you just want someone to blame. I was with him. For a time, uh, until I drink that one last coffee. Wasn't even very good. Left since yesterday, the half-dinty pot had chilled and stale. I drink it anyway, because I needed the fix. The pain started in my forehead. In that place, I often felt my pulse, but it quickly became a spark that would have made me scream had I been able to breathe. I knew weaker versions of this sensation as well, and I knew it was the caffeine, but I'd seriously overdone it this time. My senses began to stutter, and all I could see across my awareness were staccato images of Magnus applying a surgical knife to the zombie's scalp, cutting into rotting skin. No, bloodied hair. No. A woman. A living woman. A terrified woman. I saw a brief flash of her olive skin, dark hair and tears, a single frozen image in my retinas of her bleeding and wounded and stitched. She wasn't a zombie. There weren't zombies at all. None of them were. There was nothing wrong with them. There was something wrong with us. I'd seen people in the grocery store panicking as... God, the memories had changed too. For a single moment of clarity, I saw hungry families asking for food, hands reaching out in desperation as other shoppers ran and screamed from what they saw as foreign abominations. I didn't know where these people came from, but I saw them as monsters. And then it was past. She was a zombie again, groaning and leaking maggots and smelling of rotted spices. Why? Why? Who or what could have done this to us? I rose and grabbed Magnus's hand to stop him from carving any further. Stop. I don't think she's a mutant or a zombie. I think we're seeing what someone or... Something wants us to see. He turned his head and leaned to me, his eyes afire, his hands still clutching the knife. I suspected as much. The glamour breaks down when the pieces become separated into generic. Her cells, flesh, blood, became normal under intense scrutiny. Horrified, I asked. Why? I pointed my free hand at the results of his torture. Why this? You remember how we saw them in houses? He whispered. They're not just strangers wandering in the town. They're moving here, living here. Zombie, mutant, or foreigner, a flood of them will still destroy our way of life. I let him go, and he turned back to his captive. I'd grown up here. I'd dated, 
made friends, built a career, followed traditions. But I hated my way of life. Work, coffee, work, coffee for who? Who benefited from my long hours and mental agony? It certainly wasn't me. I turned a blunt instrument on the closest of many deserving targets. Not hard enough to kill Magnus, but enough to certainly knock him senseless. I unchained our captive, fought down nausea and revulsion, and helped her to her feet. To me, she looked like a gibbering corpse, and I doubted we spoke each other's language, but by God, this nightmare was going to end. She didn't bite me. I wasn't even sure she could with what all Magnus had done to her jaw, but I was distantly thankful in a way I don't want to acknowledge. There was still a chance I'd hallucinated, and she actually was a zombie. I thought the nightmare was over once we limped out into the daylight and found the street. I actually breathed a sigh of relief. Until we came face to face with the horde. Marching down the street, the citizens came in unison. An armed vigilante ocean that kept shouting that they would enforce what the police would not. Crashing wave of zombies shuffled away before them, fleeing, and I found myself swept along. I shouted that we were being deceived, that some horrible force was holding the wool over our eyes, that we were horribly mistaken. My former fellow citizens could not understand me. All that they heard was rasping. All that they saw was decay. I had been bitten, and now I was one of them. I put up my Christmas lights in October. I know, I know, I can practically feel your rage all the way over here. I have a good reason, I swear. I live in Minnesota, and it gets cold and snowy fast. I don't like standing on a ladder and stringing lights in the snow and ice, so I have to get it done early. If it makes you feel any better, I don't actually turn them on until December. Even I have principles. I'm rambling. Sorry, it's just... I'm not exactly sure where to start with all this. So I'm starting with the Christmas lights. And of course, where I found them. They were actually in the attic when I moved in. I bought the house from the bank on the condition that I became responsible for everything inside. It wasn't too bad, mostly old junk in the attic and basement, along with some furniture left over from the previous owner. Nothing seemed very valuable or unique, so what I didn't keep was either tossed or donated. Among the things I kept were the holiday decorations. Most of the decorations were quite old, though they'd obviously been treated with care. I decided against putting most of them up. Maybe next year, I told myself, as I packed them carefully back into their boxes. I wasn't sure who the previous owner was, but they clearly loved these decorations. Perhaps they'd want them back one day. The only thing I did put up were the Christmas lights. I found them in an old trunk shoved in the back of the basement. 
They were threaded through some garland and in pretty good condition. I didn't even have to replace any bulbs. Lucky me, right? So I hauled my ass up to the roof and strung the lights around the house just in time for pumpkin spice season. They stayed up there until December 1st rolled around. At that point, I figured it was safe to turn them on and put out the rest of the decorations. I built snowmen for the front yard. I hung popcorn garlands from the tree along with my favorite keepsake ornaments that had survived the trek from Indiana. I didn't have any halls to deck, so I settled for the living room, hanging holly from every available service and plenty of mistletoe. By the time I was finished, it looked like a Hallmark store had vomited all over my house. I was pretty pleased with myself. And of course, I put silhouettes of Santa and his sleigh and the reindeers on the roof. It was a big hit with the kids. They'd point at it as they passed by. Everything was going great until about a week before Christmas. When I came outside to see a teary-eyed little girl standing on the sidewalk in front of my house. Before I could ask what was wrong, she sniffled and cried out. Where'd they go? She pointed to my roof. I followed her line of sight, only to discover that Santa and his crew had vanished. Or, more likely, fallen over from the wind. But I couldn't exactly say that to a crying seven-year-old, now could I? Santa and his reindeer had to go to the, uh, grocery store to get Rudolph some reindeer treats. They ran out, but they'll be back soon. They sell reindeer treats at the grocery store? She asked, her eyes glowing wide with wonder. Uh, yep. Store keeps it stocked for the Christmas season. You have to ask your mom to show them next time you go shopping. Anyway, they'll be back in a few hours, I promise. That seemed to mollify her. She skipped off into the horizon while I climbed back onto the roof, grumbling about whimsy and Christmas and the innocent wonder of children that I'd sworn to uphold this season. When I finally reached the top of the roof, I found the decorations. They were laying in the snow, torn to pieces. Rudolph's head had been ripped from his body. Santa was missing his arms entirely. There was a strange lump of wood that looked suspiciously like reindeer's tail. I looked at the carnage in bewilderment. Well, this sucks, I sighed, gathering up the pieces and defeat. As I toted them over to my ladder, I got this feeling that something else was wrong. I just couldn't put my finger on what. I figured it out after I'd gotten all the pieces off the roof. I stood there, staring at my bare house when I realized what was missing. The lights were gone. They'd been pulled right off my roof, probably by the same people who'd fucked up Santa and his posse. Yeah, people fucking suck. I know. There was only so much that could be done, but I did it. A few hours later, a brand new homemade sign appeared in my front yard. It read, Santa and his reindeer are getting ready for Christmas. Be back soon. I figured it would go over better than headstone reading, R.I.P. Santa and friends. The lights? Well, that would just have to wait until I could buy another string. Or, hell, maybe I'd just wait for the lights until next year. I was a little more concerned that someone had been fucking around my roof to care much about the destruction of my hard work. The next few days were quiet. 
and contacted the police department to let them know what had happened, of course, but they assured me it was probably teenage vandals who likely wouldn't be back. You're safe, ma'am. Oh, and sorry about your decorations. Happy holidays. I tried to put it out of my mind. Told myself that that was the end of it. Funny thing about endings is that they never seem to come when they're supposed to. You see, I started hearing things. Strange rustling noises, mostly late at night. If I hadn't been awake getting into Santa's eggnog, I wouldn't have noticed them. But as it was, I could ignore it. I walked through the house once or twice, trying to figure out where it was coming from, but it always fell silent when I passed by. Things started going missing, too, mostly in the living room. First, it was a few ornaments from the Christmas tree, then little knickknacks from the fireplace mantle. After a while, I noticed that the tree itself started looking sparse, almost like something was taking entire branches off it while visions of sugar plums danced in my head. I felt like I was going crazy. Things were just far enough to the left of normal that I couldn't decide if it was really happening or if I needed to get checked for brain tumor. As Christmas drew near, I became even more tense. Once or twice, I considered checking into a hotel for a few days just in case something really was happening. But, well, I wanted to spend Christmas at my new home. It felt important at the time. It was the night before Christmas when everything went to shit. I'd put on some holiday tunes and was listening to Judy Garland's dulcet tones singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. The fireplace was roaring, and a cup of hot chocolate, with no small amount of Bailey's Irish cream, was warming my hands. The twinkling lights of the Christmas tree kept me company as I reminisced about holiday past. For a few hours, all was calm. I felt like I was in a Terry Redland painting. And then, I noticed a funny smell. It was smoke. Which, okay, I had a fire going in the fireplace, but it was a lot of smoke. Smoke that should have been going up the chimney instead. I looked over to the fireplace just in time to see something drop down from the chimney. It bounced on a log and dropped onto the hearth far enough away from the fire that I could grab it and take a closer look. It was a small nutcracker. I used to sit it on my fireplace mantle, but it had gone missing a few days before. I had a collection of nutcrackers, small enough to fit in the palm of my hand, and this was one of my favorites. It was blackened by smoke, but I could still make out its police uniform. Suddenly, a horrible vision flashed in my head. A news story some years ago about a person playing Santa Claus trying to crawl down the chimney and becoming stuck. His dead body discovered months later by his family. I thought of the missing items. The destroyed decorations. Smoke filtering into the living room that was a sure sign of a blocked chimney. I grabbed the fire poker in both hands as I called out. Hello? Someone up there? 
I strained to listen. Under the crackling of the fire, I could hear that strange rustling noise again. I was certain it was coming from the chimney. Who's there? No answer. I should call the police, I thought to myself. I should call them and tell them to come and get this fucking person out of my chimney. What if no one's there? My brain hissed back. What if you're just wasting their time? Maybe it's all in your head. I hesitated for a long moment. And finally, I had an idea. And like the Grinch, it was a wonderful, awful idea. I inched closer to the hearth, aiming the fire poker up into the chimney. I was just going to poke at whatever was up there. If it was a person, maybe it would shout. If it was just debris and I was nuts, maybe it would fall down. Or maybe nothing would happen. Yeah, I'm not sure where I was going with that either. In my defense, you try dealing with a possible crazy vandal stuck inside your chimney when you're half drunk. I paused, just for a moment, just to acknowledge how dumb my idea was. And then I very tentatively, very carefully, poked. I definitely hit something, although it didn't feel very solid. There was a lot of give. There was also a lot more rustling. And then the poker was ripped out of my hands and practically flew up the chimney. A few long moments later, whatever had taken residence in my chimney spat the poker back out with such force that it bounced out under the carpet. I stumbled back away from the fireplace. Bad idea, bad idea, bad idea, I mumbled as I cast about wildly for the phone. The rustling grew louder, and I could hear more stuff dropping down into the fireplace. I finally spotted my phone and lunged for it, dialing 911 as I turned around to see what the fuck was happening in my fireplace. Hello, 911. Please state the location of your emergency. Please, I'm at 34th Street. There's something... My legs were yanked out from under me and I went down hard, my phone falling out of my hand as I shrieked. I saw stars as my head slammed against the ground. Darkness swarmed my vision and it took everything in me not to pass out right there. Eventually, I was able to blink my way back into reality, at which point I discovered that I was slowly being dragged toward the fireplace. Protruding from the chimney was a familiar string of garland, threaded through Christmas lights. The end of the strand was wrapped tight around my ankles, the fake pine needles scratched at my exposed skin. The lights had clearly been on for some time as they were hot against me. I stared in disbelief for a moment before I realized I was going to be dragged straight into the fire. I started struggling, trying to get some leverage to claw my way back to the couch. My fingers curled into the carpet desperately, but the garland appendage was far stronger than I. Soon I was only a foot from the fire. I could feel the soles of my feet start to sweat through my socks. Let go! I screamed, thrashing, trying to dislodge its grip. and held firm. As I got closer to the chimney, I could hear a new, strange noise coming from inside it. A groaning, gurgling sound. It sounded... hungry. 
Before I could ruminate on that, the fucking thing dragged my feet straight into the fire and I panicked. A surge of adrenaline went straight to my brain, saying, Hot fire, hot fire, bad. Get out, bad fire. Ow, ow, ow. I twisted and jerked and spasmed. The thing held onto me for dear life, trying but failing to wrestle me into submission. As I struggled, I felt my hand knock against something and I grabbed it on instinct. I lifted it from my eyes to see what it was. Fire poker. I raised it above my head, giving a horrible shriek as I brought it down as hard as I could on the garland. It spasmed as though hurt. Encouraged, I brought the poker down again and again until it loosened its grip. I yanked my feet from the fire and dragged myself backward. They were badly burned and I knew I couldn't stand on them, so I fought my way to my knees instead to face off against the horrible thing. I'd clearly made it angry the way it was whipping back and forth. I stayed completely still as I watched it, poising myself to strike at the nearest, earliest opportunity. It came speeding at me head on. I brought down the poker like a spear with all the strength I had. A great roaring shriek sounded from the fireplace as I pierced straight through. Christmas lights on the garland started to pop one by one, the plastic bulbs exploding as the thing writhed in pain. Thick, black liquid began to ooze and drip out of the wound, sizzling against the floor like acid. I used so much force that I'd stuck the poker right through the carpet into the floorboards underneath. The garland struggled madly to get free, but I put my full weight on it as well as I could without getting to my feet and held it there, refusing to let it get away. I was so focused on my task, so overwhelmed by the creature's terrible screaming that I didn't hear the pounding on my door. I was utterly shocked when the police burst into my living room, guns drawn, horrified eyes drawn to the evidence of my battle with the garland. Before anybody could move, the garland gave a terrible heave and tore itself from the poker, leaving half of itself behind on my floor. As I stared at it in disbelief, it pulled its injured appendage back up into the chimney. I could hear it scurrying, scraping, shifting to get away. I'm sure the police could too, but they were more interested in what it had left behind. And for good reason. The garland string on my carpet had begun to smoke though it wasn't on fire. A horrible, putrid smell filled the room and I clamped my hand over my mouth and nose, struggling not to gag. The next instant, the garland was reduced to ash in front of our very eyes. By the time we'd gathered our wits, the thing in the chimney was long gone. It had scuttled out the top of the chimney, off to wreak havoc somewhere else, which was quite the dilemma for the police officers who responded to my 911 call. After all, they couldn't very well tell the townsfolk to be on the lookout for sentient Christmas lights and garland, could they? I spent Christmas in a hospital bed, getting treatment for the burns on my feet. It took me weeks to be able to walk again. Permanent scarring, though. Suppose I should be grateful it isn't somewhere more noticeable. I don't put up Christmas lights anymore, or garland, and I bricked up the chimney and fireplace just to be certain. Oh, by the way, about those other Christmas decorations, I took care of those with a nice big bonfire in the backyard. After all, I don't think the previous owner is going to want them back.
If they're still alive, that is. So, this Christmas, do yourself a favor. Get rid of your lights, toss out your garland, and remember, Santa isn't the only thing that comes down the chimney on Christmas Eve. <laughs>